Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut. I went keto in 2016 to reverse diabetes and lose weight. It's my mission to spread the science of keto and to show the world how cooking is necessary for keto success. Oh, and beef cheeks. Beef <laughs> cheeks. I love beef cheeks. <laughs> oh, uh, hi. Um, I'm Carrie hey. Brown, and I also live... Uh, let me do that again. Freaking oh, out on the beef cheeks. <laughs> I can't speak this morning. Oh, and hi, I'm Carrie Brown, and I also live in Connecticut, just a different part to Carl. I'm a trained pastry chef who went keto to control and eventually eliminate symptoms from bipolar 2 disorder and depression. I take no medications, I have no symptoms, and it's my mission to show the world that keto food is not only delicious, but it can be better than any other kind of food. And this show documents our experiences thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. So our experiences reversing diabetes and depression and feeling better than we ever have before. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Doctors, so we definitely don't give medical advice. Right. We just share our experiences and we also review the research that supports it. And pork belly. Beef cheeks. (laughs) (laughs) You're all about the beef cheeks now. Well, now we're going to have to mix up beef cheeks and pork belly. We can make a dish out of that. Yes, sir. Well, we share our recipes and any science we find in the show notes, of course. E for keto recipes. So let's start podcast 164, catching up with Dr. Karen Zinn. Before we get started, let's explain in plain English what a ketogenic diet is. Right. That's any diet that puts you into a state of ketosis where you burn fat for energy rather than glucose. And the way we did it was to limit our carbs to 20 grams or less every day, enjoy a moderate amount of protein, one to one and a half grams per kilogram of lean body mass, and all our energy comes from fat. 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 If you're just starting, listen to our Starting Keto show at start.2keto.com. But, you know, Richard Morris summed up the keto diet in a haiku. Love, Richard. When you're hungry, eat. Mostly fat with some protein. Stop when you are full. Boom. Boom. That's a good keto haiku. Yes, it is. Well, Carrie, what's new with you? Well, I've been, I've had a bit of a mad week. I had a girlfriend decided to migrate east along with, there seems to be a lot of people leaving the West Coast right now. And uh, Mm. one of my girlfriends was one of them and she moved to Connecticut and initially she moved into my basement. So I've had a super busy week uh, showing her around and helping her get acclimated. And we've been working on finding her somewhere permanent to live and a Mm. job and all of those things so it's been a bit mad um oh and then yesterday i went to i took a day and i went to visit cows and america's best cow farmer who if you've been listening to this podcast for a while will know is the lovely joan walker Walker. at walker farm in wartleberry massachusetts so i had a lovely day it was super sunny. There was lots of good coffee involved and uh, got to catch up with the cows and came home with a bunch of amazing beef. 
So I'm going to create wow. some awesome new recipes with that. Thank you, Joan. Yeah. But you, what have you been up to, Mr. Franklin? Uh, quite a bit. Keto Fest planning goes into full force this week. You know, we've- Keto Fest! Yeah. You know, we've been so concerned with whether we're going to have it and how to get the ticket uh, site up. Now we actually have to roll up our sleeves and- get into the nitty gritty of how to do things and do things better than we did last year, which is always the goal. Make it happen. Yep. So also there's an interesting development in the bazoodles space. As you know, those are my ketogenic, gluten-free, low-carb noodles that everybody's digging. Uh, you can find them at bazoodles.com. Well, anyway, the problem with bazoodles right now is it really doesn't seem to be a good way to scale up the process. You know, the manufacturing process is what I'm interested in. So to that end, I found this square crepe making machine. This company in Ohio called ProBake makes this Ooh. thing. And I, I called them and they said it would work great with uh, my noodles because you can use whatever desired consistency, uh, whatever speed, whatever temperature. You can control all of those things. Thing is, it's going to cost about six grand. So what do you do when you don't have six grand and you want to develop something that everybody wants? You do a GoFundMe. This is with you manufacturing noodles that people can purchase, right? That's the goal. Of course, this is a prototype and we're going to do it down to RD86. The RD in RD86 stands for research and development. Awesome. Yeah. So they have the space and the people where we can experiment with how to get the process down. And uh, if we do that and we're successful at it, we can start the whole process of food manufacturing, get a license, get tested, all of that stuff. And then uh, we can scale up from there. But we got to start somewhere. Well, then nobody will have to make their own noodles. They can just get their noodles ready made from you. Yeah, that's right. And hope the hope is that we can get it done by Keto Fest so everybody can have bazoodles at Keto Fest. Exciting! Wouldn't that be cool? It will be very cool. All right, so if you want to donate to the GoFundMe, go to bazoodles.com and just follow the links from there. That's easy enough. And we will, of course, put the all the links in the show notes. Uh, one other mention, we're going to do another keto mini fest at my house, Saturday, May 25th. Oh, a mini fest. Yay. And yeah. what's our theme in May, Carl? Well, the theme for this one is Nolans. Oh, Nolans. We going to make Nolans food. Been to New Orleans once, twice. I don't know. Anyway, I completely fell in love with it. The food was fantastic. It was a, yeah. it was a business trip, but the best part was all the food. Oh, yeah. We're going to make jambalaya. I'm going to have to research some Creole puddings. Like, we're going to have fun. Right. Yep. So, let's give away a Two Keto Dudes coffee mug to one lucky member of the Two Keto Dudes fan club. Winner this week. Today's winner is Eloise Mitchell. Fantastic name. Isn't that a beautiful name? It's Eloise. a beautiful name. Not very common. So, congratulations, yeah. Eloise. If you don't want to wait to win a coffee mug, you can get one online at gear.2keto.com. All right, Carrie, now it's time for mail. 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 A letter to readers, Carl. I do. This is uh, from the forum, the ketogenic forum. And uh, generally we read 
you know, people have questions or uh, that kind of thing or success stories. But this one was just a, a simple statement of how amazing keto is. And this person says, so I just wanted to post on here about how grateful I am for all the info I have read on this site. I made the decision to start my keto lifestyle change with some urging of my doctor. Yay, doctor. As of yesterday, it was five weeks I've been doing keto now. I know a lot of you on here say to just track your macros, but I will admit I have diligently tracked my macros and my calories on a daily basis. When I started keto, I was weighing 373 pounds, had no energy. I literally lived to eat my next meal. Food consumed me 24-7. It was an emotional attachment. Five weeks of strict keto lifestyle change later, I weighed yesterday and weighed in at 342 pounds. Holy wow! Yeah, 31 pounds lighter in five weeks. But more importantly, I feel way better, have so much more energy. My wife says it's like the man she originally married has come back home. Fantastic. Yeah. In addition, my A1C has improved greatly, so has my cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides. I even found myself at the gym six days last week, a place I used to say was where Satan himself lived, lol. <laughs> I woke up this morning and was excited to go get a great morning workout before work. However long it takes, I am looking forward to ridding myself of another 100 to 120 pounds and feeling great as I do it. Again, thank you to everyone on this site for all your encouragement and wisdom. I look forward to continuing to journey with you all, and I hope I can also provide wisdom and encouragement for others as they make the lifestyle change. That, sir, is the epitome of the keto community right there. You helped me. I'll help everybody else. Let's do this together. Yep. I, I just, that is so exciting and so gratifying and just I, that's just wonderful what a wonderful wonderful five week story yeah and it seems like every time this group gets together you know this group of uh keto people the ketonians as jimmy moore likes to call them that uh we just good things happen it's just good people you know and getting together on a regular basis is really important that's why you know we do keto fest that's why we go to low carb denver and that's why we're going to salt lake These communities are where a lot of magical things happen, and it just so happens at Low Carb Denver, we had some great conversations on the record, but also off the record, but this one with Dr. Karen Zinn was really a good one. Karen Zinn! Hello! Hello! Welcome to Two Keto Dudes, or three, as the case would be today. <laughs> Excellent, one, thank one, you. One Keto Dude Emeritus. Yes. Uh, tell us about your talk. What are you doing here? So I just presented this morning at the lovely hour of 6.30 a.m. on the science and practice of low-carb, high-fat for the recreational and the elite athlete. So mm -hmm. across the board, mm -hmm. yeah. And that is your area of expertise, I take it. Well, I, to be honest, I am a bit of a generalist in the low-carb area. You think you become a specialist in the nutrition world when you go down low-carb, then you realize that you actually are a little bit of a generalist within the low-carb world. So, yeah. you know, I, I work with athletes, I work with people with diabetes, I work with children, I work with whoever comes in my door. You, you, you are actually a student of one of the greatest sports uh, medicine uh, professors in this in in this field. Indeed, uh, Professor Noakes. Professor you? Tim Noakes. Yeah. Yes, he taught me all about <laughs> carbohydrate supplementation during exercise. Of course, the he did. Irony is just <laughs> sweet. <laughs> does the ketogenic diet look different for athletes than it does for your uh, 
obese, type 2 diabetic? That's an interesting question. I I don't think it looks enormous. What well, shouldn't look different, actually, mm-hmm. because, you know, when you've got your micronutrients as a priority and you've got your thresholds that you kind of have to make, it's just really the in, the overall energy that's a little bit different. And then, of course, you know, you've got athletes, more so elite athletes, who tend to be become more biohackers with, you know, MCT oil right. and super starch and things like that. It seems to me that the, the fit, active uh, athlete who's doing keto generally eats a little more protein maybe than your uh, average. Yeah, yeah. Possibly, and I think protein with keto is an area that really needs more research. Mm. And it seems to be that the healthier, the fitter maybe, the younger, that's the trend that I see in my clients, the more protein you can get away with while staying in in ketosis. Mm. So, you know, some of my athletes are up at 2.2, 2.3 grams of protein per kg body weight because their existing body weight is is – is a good body weight, mm. whereas people who are more metabolically challenged tend to need to decrease their protein a little bit more. And I'm not mm. I'm not into protein restriction because I think protein mm-hmm. is an incredibly important nutrient. But right. you know, there's not a lot of research to guide us in that area. It mm. does kind of make sense, though. I mean, if you're constantly tearing down your muscle and rebuilding it, you do need the building blocks to build it back up with. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you know, satiety. Although, you know, the function of satiety with protein falls down a little bit with keto because <laughs> you. <laughs> you don't you're not really craving satiety because you just have it all the time, really. Yeah, pretty much. As long as you can burn fat, you're uh, you you got your energy levels are up. So totally. One thing about uh, athletes is that their their energy demands are so high. So mm-hmm. so like a uh, like a rugby player. Yeah. You, I, I assume you were, you're a New Zealander. You've got to be working with a few, to, at least you, one yeah, or two yeah, rugby players. If you've got players. any cred, uh, <laughs> have to work with rugby players. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, I mean I know David Pocock. Trains ketogenic or trains a very low carb, uh-huh. but then he'll carb up just before an event, mm. and so that's that's something that a type two diabetic wouldn't wouldn't be able to get away with. Right. But an athlete who's a little bit more metabolically flexible mm-hmm. might take on board three different kinds of energy. You know, they might take on ketones, they might exogenously, they might take on super starch, you mm-hmm. can or something like that, mm-hmm. and also be fat adapted and have a big fatty meal before the event. And, yeah, and I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's all about metabolic flexibility. And I think an athlete really knows when they've they've nailed it is mm. when they can actually use that glucose and that those glycogen stores as needed alongside fat. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And of course you you know, when you when you're working with athletes who, who have these high energy demands, you, you have the luxury of um, being able to play around with a little bit more carbohydrate here, a little bit less there, timing issues. Mm. And I think still in semi-elite to elite sport, team sport mm. at the moment, I, th- I think if you still go in with a, right, let's do low-carb or keto approach, you you probably won't get a look in. But if you say, well, we're doing whole food and you tidy <laughs> up quality of food and you actually do low-carb like that. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, you get a lot more buy-in from from the team around you know, supporting team. Yeah. Do you know of a lot of rugby players? Um, uh, I'm trying to find the secrets because oh. I'm Australian <laughs> and we need it. We need a leverage. So yeah. I'm trying to find what the All Blacks are doing. Right. So what are they doing? Right. Next. <laughs> next question. <laughs> no, I have to say, and uh, and and the All Black uh, trainer uh, Nick Gill was was quite open in saying this several years ago. The the All Blacks operate in a low sugar environment. Excellent. So they don't not ever have bread mm-hmm. or fruit or 
you know, things like that. But they operate in, in a, a low-sugar, whole-food environment. And I mm -hmm. think within the team there are some that that go lower and find they get, you know, better body composition outcomes and then others that go slightly higher. Cause I think Owen Franks was like fully carnival, wasn't he? He was uh, – at least that's what Sean Baker was saying. That, that right. He thought well, Owen you Franks know more was... than me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, well, I, Sean I, Baker was a rugby player at some point as well. Right, so. yeah. I mean mm -hmm. the, the carnival thing is, is, is really interesting. I haven't mm -hmm. yet – talked myself into going there, mm. uh, really. And, you know, the conversations about not needing fiber, but, you know, they, they're great uh, vehicles for delivery of micronutrients. There definitely needs to be more research there. Mm. Uh, All the hip kids are doing it now. <laughs> yeah, the only person we knew who was carnivore was Amber O'Hearn when yeah. we started this show. Yeah. Yeah. And now everybody's yeah. a carnivore. Yeah. yeah, and, of course, there are so many people that sit, get such great outcomes yeah. but i did listen to you were uh, uh, being interviewed by your mm -hmm. own your own people okay. <laughs> saying <Yeah. laughs> that you missed vegetables i did your... so i i went carnivore in november mm -hmm. my original goal i wanted to go uh vegetarian as as close to vegetarian as i as i could get mm -hmm. away with because i'd heard a lot about um uh the subcontinent of india and, and the, the diabetes tsunami that's happening there and they don't tend to get obese like europeans they they go from a little pot belly to losing a foot in five years you know it's mm -hmm. a really rapid progression and so and a ketogenic because culturally they're vegetarians um a ketogenic diet is very is is very difficult to or at least I thought prior to that that it would be very difficult. But in fact, I had I had a month of I was ovo lacto, so I called it ovo lactober. That was the month of October. <laughs> Brilliant. I was ovo lacto vegetarian, and I, I I surprisingly I really liked it. Now the uh, in leading up to that, the only way I could mentally get myself prepared to do ovo lactober was if I knew that I was going to do car November, which was <laughs> only meat for November. Um, I actually enjoyed the vegetarian month more than the carnivorous month, but I like both. I'm, 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 Are I'm you talking from a, a food taste perspective or a, or a social perspective or general how you felt? So, so I don't feel a lot of social pressures mm -hmm. around food. It's more for me I like to cook and I, I, and I learned a lot of new cooking techniques during the vegetarian mm. month. The meat month was – these are techniques I've used before. Maybe and more limited. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm more limited. Um, and I think uh, – my body, I felt a little bit better um, on a vegetarian diet, uh, but to give it, you know, to, to be fair, I was I was still eating eggs and cream. Uh, had I been limited to only vegetables, it might have been a little bit more restrictive. Uh, yeah, a little bit so. it's difficult to find fat on it, you know, in, in in the vegan vegetarian world. So. Avocado oil, no? olive oil. I, yeah. you know, I get a lot of vegans. Sorry, not a lot of vegans. A lot of vegetarians. Uh, coming to see me saying, can I do low-carb or keto? Mm. Sure. There might not be a huge variety of fat, but just pour olive oil, liquid mm. gold, pour mm. it over everything, eat lots of avocado, mm. coconut, done. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to. I think we, we, we exist in a space, and it's probably come from us as dietitians, that says you need lots of variety. Mm -hmm. And mm. I actually think that having some go-to meals and some go-to foods mm. Um, it takes the thinking out of it mm. and, you know, routine is queen sometimes. You know, Steve Jobs, you know, if you look at what he used to wear, he wore the same clothes and he said, you know, I, I need to conserve my uh, my thoughts for more important things. Mm. So I think if right. people can, can have these go-to meals or foods uh, like, you know, we were saying 
olive oil and avocado mm. can be quite freeing. So Richard was talking about the tsunami of India and Asia, you know, mm. where they go from a pot belly, which is fatty liver disease, yeah. right? I mean, to it, yeah. you know, very, mm-hmm. very high A1Cs mm-hmm. without this big adipose, you know, adiposity. It, could it be that they're consuming just much more fructose than they are glucose? Because, you know, fructose goes to the liver. And what does that do to blood sugar? Obviously, their blood sugar has to rise somehow. Potentially, I mean, they they would be basing everything on rice, rice, yeah, which is glucose based, and also they have. I don't think a lot of people realize in in India they have a lot of Indian sweets, Mm. and they have a lot of in their chai. Their chai Mm. is it's like condensed milk, yeah, so Mm. much sugar (laughs) in it, yeah. So there there are lots of ways that they get, and I think I don't know about the glucose fructose. It doesn't make sense now that you mentioned rice. I know sugarcane originated in Papua New Guinea, that that's where it was first developed, and it was taken by the Indians and for, for several thousand years it was, it was an Indian plant only and then it was transported to the, to the uh, Arab, uh, Arab, con- uh, Arab uh, areas, areas of the world and then it was stolen by the Europeans and then it made its way to the Bahamas and then it made its way back to Australia. It literally made, it, made its way all the way around the world. But the, the Indians really, they were they were into sugar right from the very get Absolutely. So. And actually when I was in India, I remember walking down the streets and seeing these amazing uh, sugarcane vallas, you know, mm-hmm. and they were sitting by these 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 instruments or pieces of equipment. So they would be turning the wheel. You see mm-hmm. the big sugarcane piece, they'd be turning the wheel and producing Juice, like yeah. sugar, Cane juice, wow. yeah. and you'd walk past and you'd you take a cup and you know that was your drink and <sighs> it, it was it's it was so sort of primitive and basic. Here's like oh natural sugar cane, let's just churn it. Let's just take the fiber. Yeah, out let's just drink <laughs> it. It was just classic. So so I remember the first I saw of you was at a at a at a conference where you were uh, pitched as a as a, a ketogenic diet or low carb dietitian mm-hmm. and that was like you know uh, had never been seen before. Yeah. I, I think you were the first, weren't you? Well, one of the first. Well, I was certainly the first in New Zealand, mm. um, I, I believe. Yeah, so I, like, I came out. Yeah. And that <laughs> it, had, it, will, it was a coming yeah, out. Yeah, and that had some interesting repercussions. Yeah. Uh, but they've all fallen by the wayside. And, the you know, the Dietitians Board in New Zealand, they know exactly what I'm doing and mm. they seem to be fine with it. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, yeah. Totally. We, have, we have a little bit more trouble in Australia. Um, America doesn't seem to have this problem with a with a dietetic guild. No, they but, don't. But, and, no. Yeah. Yeah. I think things are improving based on what's happening in the Australian management system of, mm-hmm. of DAA. I think, think things are changing. Have things definitely changed since Tim Noakes uh, was acquitted? I think there's been a large influence there for yeah. sure. And the interesting thing is that people don't realise this, but – Lots of dietitians are doing this. They're just not bleating about it. <sighs> so I started a low-carb dietitian's closed secret scroll oh, Facebook page <laughs> yeah, a few it's years great. ago. And there are almost 200 dietitians on there. It doesn't sound a lot, but it is actually. It's and a lot more than one. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And they're good forums and they're good discussions. So I think – you know, you don't have to make a noise about doing this. And I think, you know, there's been some comments at the conference or questions about, you know, you have to stick to the guidelines if you're working in, you know, government. Well, really? Um, if you just talk about whole food, what did you talk to your patient about? Oh, about whole food. Uh. No, the, no one can take you to the cleaners for that. Right. So I'm curious, how different 
is what you practice versus what you learnt at dietitian school? Oh, well, if you've got an arrow pointing one way, it would be an arrow pointing in the opposite <laughs> way. Yeah, totally, and that, and totally different. And that has that changed any? You've been in practice for a while. Mm-hmm. Is what they're teaching in the schools, has that changed at all? Not in terms of the basic syllabus. They are highlighting the key controversial issues. So they are bringing it to the fore in terms of discussions, but there is still... It is still largely a mainstream approach when you're looking at the traditional university structure. And I get questions by dietitians and students all the time going, I, I want to study low carb, but I want to do mainstream because, because I, I don't believe in it. And I say, no, go, go study mainstream and be that student that mm-hmm. asks the questions mm-hmm. because you will be richer for it. Mm-hmm. And I think that the mainstream is where if they constantly hear questions, and queries coming from these inquiring minds, um, they can't just ignore it. They need to deal with it. So we realize that you're, uh, you re- really need to go here, so we're going to cut it short. But I yes. just want to ask you one last question, and that's what's next for you? What, what's in your inbox? <laughs> what's in my inbox? Well, so I'm a researcher, teacher, practitioner, and it keeps me really busy, and I'm a generalist. So within that area, it's like business as usual. However, I will say that... I am putting in a research grant looking at nutrition and mental health. Mm. So I think that area is quite untapped. So I'd like to do that. And also I've got a research grant that is pending looking at low-carb, high-fat versus mainstream sugar starch, childhood obesity, and dental health. Because, again, I think that is a very untapped area. So more of the same with a few little specializations within there. I'm, I'm super interested in what you discover with the mental health piece because I, I manage my bipolar 2 with a combination of um, supplements and keto. So I'm going to be super yeah, interested. Yeah, I've had some interesting some success with bipolar yeah. patients. Yeah, really good. That's awesome. Yeah, and yeah. That, that's my thing is like we have to – there's too many people dying and there's too many people suffering. So. Agreed. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Karen, thank you so much for spending this little time we had with you. It was great. Thank you very much thank for you. having me. Thanks, Karen. No alibi, was not very familiar with Dr. Zinn before we started, but the, recording that show with her definitely made me a fan. Yeah. And it was really great that Richard was there too, because, you know, he's got actual intelligent questions for Karen Zinn. <laughs> we, Always we come from a good a, time with Mr. Morris. We try to ask questions that are on your mind. Well, then, uh, you ready for a recipe? Could you save your due? Indeed, have a recipe for y'all. And we've done uh, a few desserty things. So this week I wanted to do something that was super simple and super yummy, but something that would really work at any time of day. And that's Mm. actually reflected in the in the name of it, I called it all day breakfast hash. So yeah. this could be breaking your fast, whatever time that is. If you eat at lunchtime, you could call it lunch. If you eat later, you could call it dinner. This will do you anytime you're feeling eating 
a more traditional breakfast style meal, you can have mm. this. And of course, it's completely keto. And this is one of the favorite recipes on my blog. So Great. go check it out. I'll run through it right now, but as always, we'll link in the show notes so that you don't have to take notes. Yeah. But here's what you need for all-day breakfast hash. You're going to need one and a half pounds of ground pork. So mm. I use unseasoned because the seasonings actually are in the recipe. So just plain right. ground pork, eight ounces of bacon. And this okay. may, may be a time to share the tragedy that is happening at Carrie Brown's house right now, because uh -oh. I'm living in a house with no bacon. Oh, no. I'll so, be right over. <laughs> so I'll have to <laughs> rectify that later today. Anyway, you're going to need eight ounces of bacon. I need a pound of riced cauliflower, or mm -hmm. if you find it easier, just buy the cauliflower and rice it yourself. Yep. You're going to need a teaspoon of dried thyme, four ounces of cream cheese. And if you're in the dairy-free camp, either because you need to be or you're experimenting with no dairy, you can use the Kite Hill, do a, a keto clean cream cheese replacement, which is made with almonds. So this would work mm. there too. You're going to need eight ounces of mushrooms sliced up, half a teaspoon of sea salt, and six eggs. And here's what you're going to do. You're okay. going to saute the ground pork and the bacon. You've chopped the bacon. Uh, you're going to saute the ground pork and the bacon in a large skillet over medium heat, breaking up the ground pork as it cooks because it tends to, you know, clump together. Right. As soon as the meats are no longer pink – you're going to add the cauliflower rice and the dried thyme, and you're going to stir it well. You're going to continue to saute the meat mixture until the ground pork is browned, which is going to mm -hmm. take about 10 minutes. Then you're going to stir in the cream cheese or your cream cheese replacement, if that's what you're using. It's completely mixed and combined, and then you're going to stir in the sliced mushrooms and the sea salt. You're going to saute for just one more minute because you don't want those mushrooms to become soggy and leak all over everywhere. So just yeah. saute it for one more minute and then turn the heat off and cover the pan because you want to keep it warm. In a separate skillet, you're going to fry the eggs and then you're going to place a, a spoonful of that hash on a warmed plate and top it with a fried egg. And there nice. is your all day breakfast hash. That sounds delicious. Carrie, I have a question for you. Dried thyme versus fresh thyme. Yes. Do you have a preference to, as to when you use one or the other? So I always prefer to use fresh, but the reality is they can be harder to find. They can be expensive. And if you're not mm. using a lot of it, you, you typically end up wasting a bunch. So I tend to well not always it depends but for this recipe i decided because it was only half a teaspoon right that to use dried however if you want to use fresh thyme you can and this is how you would do it you're going to need about three times as much so mm. you're going to use need about a tablespoon of fresh thyme and you don't put it in when you're cooking the meat and the cauliflower at the beginning. 
you would cook it all up. It's ready. You would stir in the fresh top chopped thyme. I see. And then cover it with the pan while you're frying the eggs. So that would be the difference if you want to use fresh thyme instead of dried, if that's something that you have. I imagine that would apply to all herbs, right? So typically, dried herbs, you use about a third of the amount that you would fresh herbs. And dried wow. herbs go in at the beginning of the cooking. Fresh herbs go at the end. Nice. That's a great tip. That's the tip. And of course, if you have thyme, like I will, hopefully, in a, in a <laughs> few weeks, uh, a bunch of fresh thyme on your, your deck or your patio or in pots in your yard, then, then mm. it is fabulous because you, you're not buying it and you're not wasting it either. So, But that's yeah. how you would switch from dried to fresh. Great. While we're talking food here, I want to talk about something that, that bugs me. And uh, I want to clear the air about uh, a food issue. Uh, oh. As you probably know, I'm sort of addicted to Food Network shows. I love these. Um, watch them all the time. And there was a time when I binged watched Restaurant Impossible. Oh, was that the British dude? Yeah, Robert Irvine. And I remember him telling uh, a chef in one of the places that he was, you know, redoing that you want to take meat. He was, I think it was like a ribeye or a New York strip or something. And he says, and you want to brown it on a very hot pan and that caramelizes it and brings out all the sugars. And I wanted to reach through the TV and slap the guy because there's no sugar in meat. And what he's experiencing there is the Milliard reaction, which is the browning that happens with proteins. You know, it, 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 science is kind of like body science in that, you know, we're still learning and there's different schools of thought and some are righter than others. And yeah. so I, I think it's just a natural human thing that we see caramelized onions that do have a lot of sugar and they are actually caramelized. And then so we th naturally apply that observation to anything brown. Everything, yep. Yeah. So just a pet peeve. And that's the show. So if you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something that you don't agree with, some more research that you found to support or refute anything we've said, send it by email to dudes at twoketodudes.com. Follow us on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at 2KetoDudes. Make sure you use the hashtag 2KetoDudes so we can find you and chat with you. Yeah. And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, go to forum.2keto.com. You can have a look around without needing to create an account by starting with all those success stories at success. .2keto.com. Go check out our Facebook group, The Keto Kitchen, if Facebook is your thing. And if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce, please consider making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com. If you pledge $20 or more per month, you will have access to an exclusive Facebook group, 2 Keto Dudes Gold. And we also have a Facebook fan page at fb.2keto.com, so go follow us there. And if you want to see our podcasts and other videos we produce on YouTube, go to youtube.2keto.com. If you haven't already, please go and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because that's how new people get to know about what we do. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other stuff. And everybody listen up, keep calm, and keto on. Definitely keep calm and keto on, Carl. Sage your words were never said. 
And we'll see you next time on Two Keto, Keto Dudes. Keto Dudes.